Tom Bernard Show with co-host Catherine Brandt, Andy Brandt Bernard, Mike Molina, and the Hackmaster Ralph W. Basham, MD. Got a couple of great guests coming up on this hour. As a matter of fact, I want to talk a little bit about Jason Priestley. I want to talk a little bit about Quentin Tarantino, Harvey Weinstein. All that good stuff coming up next, Tom Bernard Show. Due to the billions of marketing dollars spent by Walzer Automotive on Tom Bernard Podcast, you hopefully know that Walzer sells cars. What you might not know is that they also have two full-service collision repair centers in the Twin Cities. They're fully certified by all insurance carriers and can help you navigate all the paperwork if you ever have an accident. But wait, there's more. They've also been in the paintless dent repair business for nearly 30 years and can take those pesky dings out for just a fraction of what traditional bodywork costs. Broken windshield? Walzer Collision is a fleet of full-service mobile glass repair trucks as well. Walzer are pros at body and glass repair, but don't take my word for it. They have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and a nearly perfect 4.8 Google rating. Check them out at walzercollision.com. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. And it's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. And you can tell everybody. Oh, there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, February 21st, 2019, Target Center, Elton John, and just added today, February 22nd, a Friday night, a second show been added for Elton John's Farewell Yellow Brick Road Tour. So a Thursday night and a Friday night, Target Center, February of 2019, one year away. Are you getting tickets? Why, do you want tickets? Yeah, I would definitely go see him. All right, I'll stack them up over the airport. I'll get it taken care of. So, as a matter of fact, uh, a lot of a lot of announcements. Paul Simon's coming to town for his farewell tour. Elton John, his farewell tour. Cher, I think, is coming for her 85th farewell tour. How many farewell tours has Cher had now? Uh, three, I think. I think at least three. If you do a Vegas tour, then that cancels out your farewell tour. So that like cancels that, so you have another farewell tour after your Vegas deal. That's probably true. Touring would cancel out touring. Touring (laughs) cancels out not touring. Touring cancels out ending touring. You're absolutely right about that. She she did. uh, It became a joke 
with Cher, their farewell tours. Yes. Here we go. In 2002, she did one. She did a farewell tour that was later called the Never Can Say Goodbye Tour. <laughs> Uh huh. Okay. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Never can. Never can say mm -hmm. goodbye. Um. Jason Priestley was on the KQ Morning Show this morning, and uh, he's a terrific guest. We got to him late, unfortunately, so we only got about five minutes with him. But he told this magnificent. Actually, Michelle Tafoya brought up this uh, topic. He didn't bring it up. She brought it up, and it was quite interesting. Several years ago, Jason Priestley was at some kind of event, some kind of party, and this guy came up to him and said, uh, what are you doing here? And Jason said, what are you talking about? He says, you're not supposed to be here. You're going to have to leave. And he grabbed Jason Priestley's arm, right? Yeah. And Priestley goes, hey, you know, settle down. I'll leave. I'm leaving. So, so he goes to leave, and the guy goes, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm leaving. You told me I had to leave. He said, well, now I'm telling you, you don't have to leave. He goes, and Priestley goes, just leave me alone, will you? Yeah, bye. And the guy says, uh, oh, is that how it's going to be? How would you like to go outside and talk about this? And grabbed him again. <sighs> Jason Priestley turns around and punches him square in the face. He said he didn't know who the guy was, had no idea. Punches a guy in the face and leaves, finds out the next day. It was Harvey Weinstein. What? <laughs> Tough guy. Good. Tough guy, Harvey Weinstein. He's always needed a punch in the face. I'm glad he got one. <laughs> God, what a story. But I love Jason Priestley. He's got a new show coming out on uh, the Ion channel. He plays a private detective. Uh, just a good actor. Good guy and a good actor. In October 2017, director Quentin Tarantino, one of the biggest pukes ever born. <laughs> I liked a couple of his movies, and then after that I found out it wasn't because of him. Uh, director Quentin Tarantino spoke about his longtime collaborator Harvey Weinstein and the mounting accusations of sexual assault against him, telling the New York Times, I knew enough to do more than I did. There was more to it than just the normal rumors, the normal gossip. It wasn't secondhand. I knew he did a couple of these things. If you were being generous, you could chalk this up to refreshing honesty from one of America's most beloved auteurs. But as Uma Thurman recently told the Times, you'd be mistaken to do so. In a recent Maureen Dowd op-ed, Thurman describes Tarantino as a volatile manipulator who not only ignored Weinstein's behavior, but also sided against her following her own assault at Weinstein's hands. Things turned, she said, on the set of the Kill Bill movies during a scene in which Tarantino demanded she do her own stunts. She says she insisted that she didn't feel comfortable operating the car and would prefer a stunt person to do it. Producers say they do not recall her objecting. Quentin came into my trailer and didn't like to hear no, like any director, she says. He was furious because I'd cost him a lot of time, but I was scared. He said, I promise you the car is fine. It's a straight piece of road. He persuaded her to do it and instructed, hit 40 miles per hour of your hair, or your hair won't blow back the right way, and I'll make you do it again. But that was a death box that I was in. The seat wasn't screwed down properly. It was a sand road, and it was not a straight road. Tarantino did not respond to requests for comment. The car crashed into a tree with Thurman behind the wheel. Oh, Upon requesting the footage of the crash from Tarantino and Miramax, Weinstein's company, she was informed that the only way she could have it is if she agreed not to sue. Uh, you can see the video in the Times article, by the way. Thurman said, Harvey assaulted me, but that didn't kill me. What really got me about the crash was that it was a cheap shot. 
I had been through so many rings of fire by that point. I had uh, really always felt a connection to the greater good in my work with Quentin. And most of what I allowed to happen to me and what I participated in was kind of like a horrible mud wrestle with a very angry brother. But at least I had some say, you know. That Tarantino's apologia is disingenuous in the era of the hashtag MeToo could come as a surprise if you're unfamiliar with the director's love of depicting women having the Shiite kicked out of them on camera. If you're unfamiliar with interviews he's done in the past, like, for example, uh, in the 2003 Howard Stern interview submitted to us by a reader in which he adamantly defends Roman Polanski's sexual assault of a 13-year-old girl. Hmm. Even though he was found guilty and had to flee the country. And has never been back since. Yep. How, Quentin Tarantino defended Roman Polanski's sexual assault of a 13-year-old girl. Asked by Stern why Hollywood embraces this madman, this director who raped a 13-year-old, Tarantino replied, he didn't rape a 13-year-old, it was statutory rape. He had sex with a minor, that's not rape. <sighs> yeah, it is. 13, for God's sake. To me, when you use the word rape, you're talking about violent, throwing them down. It's like one of the most violent crimes oh, in the world. Okay. You can't throw the word rape around. It's like throwing the word racist around. It doesn't apply to everything people use it for. Reminded by Robin Quivers that Polanski's victims, who had been plied with quaaludes and alcohol before her assault, did not want to have sex with Polanski, Tarantino became riled up. No, that was not a, the case at all. She wanted to have it and dated the guy. Quivers then said she was 13. Uh, thank you, by the way, to Tim Lammers for sending us over. Tim and Tim's all worked up about this story. I'll tell you that. He's he like, be. rip Tarantino a new one. <laughs> and by the way, we're talking about America's morals, not talking about the morals in Europe and everything. Wait a minute. If you have sex with a 13-year-old girl and you're a grown man, you know that's wrong. Giving her booze and pills. Look, she was down with this. What do you know, a Weinstein apologist who pushes his actors into unsafe situations and loves casual use of the N-word. Yeah, he loves dropping the big N in his movies. Yes. Is also an a-hole with dangerous opinions. Uh, Quentin Tarantino is a disgusting pig. And I, I, I liked a couple of his movies. Some of them I thought were horrendous. Like Kill Bill I thought was horrible. Part one and two or part whatever it was. I liked um, Reservoir Dogs. He did write, but he didn't direct uh, probably my favorite, True Romance. But the guy's nuts. He's just a pig. There's, you know, Roman Polanski, there's Harvey Weinstein, there's Quentin Tarantino. These guys are pigs defending a man raping a 13-year-old girl. And this guy still works. And why? So, Timmy Lammers, you're right. Why does they what? still work? Why do they still work? Why aren't they ostracized? Why aren't they saying, get out of here, you're done. Out of here, done. You know, why don't they take all their Academy Awards away? Why don't they do something? That's why I say nothing's going to change in Hollywood. It's just a temporary bump no, in the road. No, you're right. You're right. It's never going to change. You know, it's the same stuff over and over and over and over and over again. Just disgusting pigs. And then a pig like Bill Maher. And by the way, I'm doing a Treasure Island Resort and Casino commercial where I had to actually promote his show, which I had to bite my tongue to do as a favor. <laughs> You gotta hold the, down uh, your bile. Yeah, hold down my bile. I cannot <laughs> stand down, Bill Maher. Hold down your well, bile. It's true. Oh, man. It's oh. absolutely true. Oh, thank you. What a picture. This, did you hear what he said? Did you hear what Bill Maher said? No. Uh. 
I just find it disgusting that it's only Democrats in Hollywood that are being that are suffering through this whole sexual assault thing. You notice it's only the well, liberals. There aren't any. There aren't any Republicans in Hollywood. <laughs> so you got Tom Selleck. That's yeah, about it. Not a whole lot. Clint you got like Eastwood. four. <laughs> so I just, chances I are. But the thing is, Bill, you puke. Uh, they're the ones who committed the assaults. That's why they're paying the price. You know, you're not getting ostracized or having your ass handed to you because you didn't do anything. That is a really whiny statement. It really is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. All of these these people, it just it's so disgusting. And, well, we talked about this, too. The, the fact that, that I saw people. And, look, if I were president of the United States, I wouldn't, when the, the stock market goes up, I wouldn't be bragging about it. It's a stupid thing to do. Because the market goes up and the market goes down. That's just what happens. So I wouldn't be taking any position as the President of the United States on whether the market's up or down. But there were people all across the news channels and national news channels just gleeful about the fact that the market was down 1,600 points. Just big smiles in their face. You know, people's 401ks are affected by that drop. I don't know if you know that or not. It fits their agenda. That's all they care about. So they don't care about the proletariat. They don't care about the average person out there. They just think it's very, very funny that the stock market plummeted, which it... I, last I saw, it was coming back a bit today. What what do you got? I know, Melina, I know you got your eye on it. Uh, I was down again, just a a little bit. I mean, not anything. How long ago? Uh, Since open, it's... Let's see, previous close. It's kind of, it's gone up and down. It's just, it's going, uh, it was up to... Like 230 or 250 or something. Yeah. It was up to 24-7, or and now it's, yeah, down a little bit, but it was just up, and yeah. it's. I think it's going to be all over the place for the next couple the days. The day traders are going yeah. crazy. Yeah, exactly. But that's the whole, that's the whole issue, is it... And again, there's the one guy. I can't. I don't know what channel he was on, but he was just big smile and just giddy, and he's down the biggest drop in the daily drop in history. Uh, that would be numbers, not percentages. Yeah, in percentage order, is what yeah, matters. Percentage is what matters because it had to go way up for it to drop that low, uh, and not be the highest percentage drop in one day. I, I just, why are you? Look, I know you hate the president, which is your business. You know, he's not a real popular guy the way it is. And I know you hate him. But let's think about the people out there that are busting their ass and whose 401ks, they're not going to be hurt in a two-day period. But let's think about the people whose 401ks kind of lean on the stock market and stop being so happy that it's tanking. And it didn't tank, really. Yeah, it didn't tank. That's all. It'll be back. It's just, could you not be so happy for, uh, you know, well, because what, your opinion was right. What I don't think. understand is with these tax cuts, why are, why would stocks be going down? Because they want to they force the Fed to stop increasing interest rates. Oh. Yeah, it's, that is the problem. Yeah, increased jobs, increased wages implies inflation. And then to correct inflationary pressure, the Fed will increase interest rates. It's, it, it's you know, just let, let the economy run. Yeah. So. yeah, the problem is in order... To hire a bunch of people, a lot of companies have to go borrow money, and if you raise the rates, it costs them more money to borrow money. So, you know, there's inflation there, as, as Ralph just said, and these companies will try to stop that by exactly this. You know, that's exactly the situation. I talked to a guy this morning, because I don't know a lot about the stock market. 
I, I had some interest in the stock market several years ago, invested a little bit, lost a little bit. And then I, I just sat down and just thought about these IPOs, initial public offerings. By the time the public has offered the stock, all the insiders have taken all of the fat off the cow. Right? Yep, pretty much. I mean, all the big gains are gone already. Not that's not no. To say you're not going to get you're rich overnight, but no. Pretty much all stocks, unless they're high risk stocks, slowly grow over time. Yes, exactly. So it's just a thing that you put your money into, and then you know it grows slowly. It's basically right. like a CD. But I just I, I just would ask people, don't be so happy watching some people lose money. Maybe people that and, and you know again calling a thousand dollars. Crumbs. I, it's not necessarily a good idea because your husband's a billionaire. You know, I just wouldn't do those things. You know, but I also wouldn't be doing the things that President Trump's doing, parading around, bragging about how wonderful everything is, because everything is not wonderful for everybody. So all of you in politics, shut up and get to work. How about that? Just a thought. <laughs> That's good right. Good luck. Thank you. Shut up and get to work. Get some work done rather than chatting and tweeting and thousand other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, get off Twitter. That'd be good. I'm on, I haven't been on Twitter in five years or four and a half years anyway. Do you miss it? Not at all. <laughs> Not in the least do I miss Twitter. Well, I do miss, you know, saying hello and goodbye to, to listeners that have been listening for years and years. I do miss that. Yeah, I do. But I don't miss people just being total jerks about nothing and gleeful over other people's misery. I can't read it, and I blame that squarely on social media. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company. Ask one of our bankers what they love about business banking. They always say the relationship with a client. Case in point, True North Oral Surgery and Implants is a longtime customer with a growing practice. Their banker, Julie Marshall, knows the ins and outs of what they do. So when they need working capital, an equipment loan, or funds for expansion, they call Julie. Are you looking for a banker you can count on? Give us a call. This is Tom. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Just like all of you, I had been hearing about my pillow and was skeptical that it was as great as everyone says. Well, I received my first my pillow and I love it. It's very comfortable, stays in that same exact position all night. Fantastic. Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow, has a very special offer for Tom Bernard Show listeners. My pillow is offering more than 50% off his four pack special, which includes two premium my pillows and two go anywhere pillows. If you're looking for a great night's sleep, now is the perfect time to get your first my pillow. If you already know how great the my pillow is, why not give them to everyone you know? Call 800-516-5146, use promo code TOM, or go to MyPillow.com. But make sure you use promo code TOM. Call 800-516-5146 and use promo code TOM. That's 800-516-5146, promo code TOM. There we go. Melina's doing a little dance routine in Studio A. Is that what this is all about? Oh, yeah. It's got, oh. his, got his polyester on doing a little disco. It's a polyester suit. <laughs> Actually, this is a That's leisure a suit. a really nice look. You got a leisure suit? Leisure. No, Catherine. Oh, Catherine left on me. She's leaving. 
What, it, what was the color of your father's leisure suit, Catherine? Was it mint green? No, it's powder blue. Powder blue. Whoa, there was yeah. High stepper there. Uh, <laughs> I know it was either mint green, powder blue, or yeah. sunshine yellow. Mm -hmm. Why were they so big? Why did leisure suits get so big? <laughs> just because, like, I guess bright clothes were just like a brand new thing. Leisure suits. Why were they called leisure suits anyway? Because <laughs> back then, you know, men, they wore a suit all the time if yeah, they were out in true. public. That's true. So a suit that was slightly less uncomfortable than a regular suit would be leisurely. Or leisurely suit. Mm-hmm. Those even around. Well, it's like business casual. There's nothing casual about it. Yeah, business casual. You know, what I'd like to do is get a hold of a leisure suit, and then I'd also like to get a hold of a members-only jacket. Remember members-only jacket? I, yep. And no, I'll throw, those were just before my time. Yeah. And I'll throw in a, uh, two pair of Zubas, too. Yeah, Zubas. Well, there was a guy wearing Zubas, uh, uh, the guy who ate the horse manure. He was wearing Zubas? <laughs> he was wearing Zubas. <laughs> huh. Once again. He was. He was. Proud to be a Pennsylvanian. <laughs> <laughs> Proud to be a Pennsylvania. He was wearing green and white Zubas and eating horse manure. I had a dream that we had a conversation that we thought um, bell bottoms were going to come back soon. Well, I think they probably will. I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, well, yeah, it's been pretty much everything since then has come back. So, oh. Well, and the thing about it is these pants that a lot of guys wear now, those skinny jeans uh, and skinny pants, those the worst. hideous things. Yeah. You know what's going to happen next is going to be, okay, we got to flare it way out. Mm. Yeah, well, I... got to get the flare going. Double check with Alex. I think the bell bottoms have come and gone a couple times in the past 10, 15 years. Oh, have they really? Oh, yeah, women have had... Oh, yeah, the women's fashion, they've had bell bottoms and yeah, women, stuff. Yeah, it's true. Not men, though. No. No. Not men bell bottoms. I men's fashion is a lot more static. Uh, yeah, it is because men are not that big into fashion. Some men are big into fashion, but I'm. Yeah, and mm. I, I think Ralph, we talked about this before, and I know it's just me, but I am getting so tired of guys wearing blue suits with brown shoes on television, with like tan shoes, blue suits with tan shoes. That's that's a big deal. Oh, what yeah. is that all about? Oh, I don't know. Black shoes. I didn't even notice. Black shoes. Yeah, black shoes with a blue suit. What's that's? Let's go with that route, but. Here's what they do. They wear they wear the blue suits, and then they wear the multicolored socks and the brown shoes. Look at me. That's what they do. They, is it look at me? Is that what it is? <laughs> they went to store. They went to the store looking for an outfit, but they came home with a costume. Well, well, that's probably true. A nice costume. Hey, nice costume you got there. <laughs> yeah, nice socks. What happened to this? What happened to this guy at Lululemon now? Apparently, this Laurent Potavin. Yeah. What's his problem? He he, he resigned uh, he, either. Well, here we go. Yoga wear company Lululemon made the surprise announcement Monday, yesterday, that it was looking for a new CEO. But the reason why Laurent Potavin uh, abruptly stepped down wasn't spelled out in detail by the Canadian company. Uh, notes Bloomberg, Lululemon expects all employees to exemplify the highest levels of integrity and respect for one another. Uh-oh. <laughs> he made a move on somebody he wasn't supposed to make a move on. New York Post says it was poor conduct. That's all it says. Yeah, poor conduct. Mm -hmm. But it won't say what the poor conduct was. Mm -hmm. Mr. Potavon fell short of these standards of conduct. The 50-year-old Potavon will get $3.35 in cash. Plus another $1.65 million over 18 months as part of his exit package. So you feel somebody up and you get $5 million in cash for it. You had to get out of here. Is that how it works? That's how it works. 
It's like that's how it works. They get millions. It's like the teachers in Los Angeles who have misconduct for a variety of reasons, whether it's violence, whether it's who knows what it is, drug. Who knows what it is? They're in the union and they're sort of just well, you don't come to class anymore, and we just pay you. And there, there are like a hundred teachers on the payroll when we lived out there uh, that uh, were on the payroll. They never went to class, never did anything, and they just just continued collecting their wages. So, unbelievable, unbelievable. Have you guys seen this uh, thing going around? Twenty-one questions Amazon asks its job candidates. I don't know if I think those are real, but... You, really? Have you seen them? Well, the Google, the, they've been doing those for Google for ages. It's like yeah. these clever interview questions that they'll ask you at Google. It's like, how many? Of, how do we even know those are real? Well, they claim that at Amazon, when you sit down to do your job interview, they will ask you, Amazon is a peculiar company. What is peculiar about you? Uh, <laughs> That doesn't sound real. Well, here's something that's not peculiar about me. I don't want to work here. How about that? <laughs> Jeff Bezos walks into your office and says, you can have a million dollars to launch your best entrepreneurial idea. What is it? Again, to not work here. <laughs> oh, I can give you a million dollars. He's the richest man on earth. He's the richest human being on earth. Well, is that necessarily true? Because some of these sultans over in the Middle East, they don't know how much money those guys got. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Or if you have your own country, I mean, how rich can you when you start measuring wealth and you know the yeah. amount of money is not necessarily the amount of money you own, but what you control. Like Saudi Arabia, the you know the one prince, the one family, pretty much runs Saudi Arabia. You know, how much money they got? Who knows? God only. Yeah, knows. they can have or do whatever they want. Money isn't even a. Doesn't exist to them, basically. Yeah, exactly. So and, we don't know how much money they got. It doesn't even. Yeah, it's weird. And they're living in another ethic and another law system, so they can do things that Jeff will only dream about. I mean, that's very. They, true. they can't. He just can't do because it's illegal or immoral here. Where they're, they'll tolerate a lot of other things. What metrics do you use to drive change? I get in my car and leave here. How about that? If you saw someone steal a quarter, would you report it? Yeah, of course you would. Why wouldn't you? Don't be stealing money. Do you oppose a supervisor who made a decision that goes against corporate policy and is a potential safety issue for one of your employees? Yeah. Well, of course. A safety issue? Of course you would oppose it. Would you not? Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. There must there must be a real kooky answer. <laughs> Here's the one I really hate. If you had 5,623 participants in a tournament, how many games would you need uh, would need to, to be played to determine a win- winner? It depends on whether it's single, single elimination or not. Yeah, really. It really doesn't make it, yeah. There's no way you could give a, a solid number for that because there are many different answers to that question. Right? That's correct. Did they have because this? If, you had a, if you had a football team, football teams have, what, 56 players on them, don't they? Yeah. Okay, well, they'd be participants in a tournament. That's called the NFL season. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, I mean, figure it out. Could be as, as few as five in that case. I don't know. I, I, it just, why would you ask these questions? I don't get it. Who knows? Tell me about a time when you had to deal with ambiguity. Oh, God, you're obnoxious. <laughs> uh, why should we hire you? Because I've got a gun with me, and I'll shoot you if you don't. How about that? How do you motivate people? Once again, I'd pull a gun on them. 
do we talk about that? I answered yeah. the last question. Honest to God, I, I, you can't even read the questions. They're so obnoxious. I just, I want to just show you how much smarter I am than you are. Is that what that's all about? A little, little bit of that. There was a when I when when I took the medical entrance on the MedCat, uh, they they had they at that time they were they wanted to you know find the right people that really had the wonder, wonderful intellect and this and that sort of thing. And one of the questions that was recanted to me at one time was, which of these five books would be in Voltaire's library if he were alive today? Kind of stuff. This, diff- <laughs> this eyeball kind of thing. You know, you oh, well, oh, do you really understand everything in life? And you know, they, they're just. So, yeah, they ask these questions. And, and I don't know, it doesn't screen anybody out. They still get the goofball that presses the wrong button or decides he's going to uh, delete an account that yeah. shouldn't be deleted or disable an account. I mean, it's, it's, you still get, uh, you know, people that are pathologic. I, I don't know what it, what it does. Knowledge, knowledge of Voltaire does not do anything for a doctor. But yeah, that's no. correct. That's, okay. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. Thank you. Some people think that you have to... There's like some certain subjects that people just assume that all smart people are into. That's true. And philosophy is one of them. Um, chess is another for some reason. Yes, that's true too. Everyone thinks that all geniuses are chess masters, and I don't know why. And of course, uh, complex math, you know, like stuff beyond trigonometry and, and calculus. Yeah, they're all programmers too. Yes. Well, that's... That's uh, related. Yeah, to math. Uh, a lot of programming is math. Yeah. God, I just, why, doesn't Jeff Bezos seem to me, first of all, let me explain something to you about Jeff Bezos. All he did was steal Sears' idea and put it on the internet. Pretty much. That's what he did. That was his genius move. He, he looked and studied what Sears did with their catalog back in the day because they owned the shipping business sears did and why some imbecile over there didn't realize we need to put this on the internet and get it rolling particularly when amazon started why sears didn't say hey wait a minute yeah that was one of the worst business decisions in history it really was it was horrible and it could have happened 10 years before jeff bezos this yeah, is absolutely. You know, it long they just why don't yeah you know, why don't big companies see those changes and tr- and really try to opportunize those things that's what really was weird because that was this People was something like change i guess are they just are so afraid to change try to change that profit model in any way but still yeah. it was it was not a lot of money that's not a, a huge investment to try it out no nope no not at all well first of all if you own the business already why wouldn't you give the internet a run? Because it's not going to cost you anything because you already own the business. Yeah. A lot of people think that the internet was just a passing fad back then. <laughs> even if even if you thought that, you had all the money in the world. Yeah, you had know. all this magnificent... Uh, I th- Do you think the person at the top thought at the time was infrastructure? What was thinking, you know, bricks and mortar. I can't do that to this company because if I do that to this company, although you're already shipping stuff out of your catalog, so people aren't coming into your brick and mortar stores, they're ordering through your catalog. Yeah. No, so you're that's... not hurting the brick and mortar business. They would ship out of the same warehouses and, and everything. Exactly. So you've already got the shipping covered. You've already got the consumer base covered. Put it on the internet. Who cares if it fails miserably? Right. That's right. Because no one would know, <laughs> because if it's not because uh, it wasn't being used, you was oh that didn't work out. <clears throat> I admit. Yeah, if it failed miserably, 
then no one would know it failed. But, you know, the same thing, you know, I, I, I spoke to some of the people with the management at Musicland, you know, when be, mm-hmm. just before yeah, and after, yeah, and I said, hey, you know, you can start, why don't you start doing some of the stuff on the Internet, uh, sell the CDs on the Internet, do, stuff, do that over the Internet, because it's available. These storefronts, right. the, the, the initial storefront ideas are there. You should, you should do this, be doing this, and sell it a different way. They said, oh, no, 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 that's not what we do. And I go, okay, well, they're that's gone. That's what they always think. That is, oh, that's not what we do. That you know, hey, there's some of that uh, behind the scenes in 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 the radio business. Yeah, well, of there course. Are pe- there are people in a lot of trouble in the radio business because they didn't understand the delivery system of audio. Um, it's not going to kill off. First of all, the internet's not going to kill off talk radio. People are still going to need to sit in their autonomous uh, vehicles and have. They're going to need companionship. Right now, whether yep. it's delivered through the internet or over a radio signal, what do you care? If you can just look at your vehicle and say, you know what, I'd like to listen to 92kqrs.com, uh, or I'd like to I'd like to listen to 92kqrs FM. What do you care? That's right. Right. That's right. It's not like oh, I'm not using that. It's not antiquated uh, technology or antiquated delivery if you're telling it to bring it up in your autonomous vehicle. <laughs> Uh, on your uh, audio system, or you or you pay the autonomous vehicle. They say, "Well, I'd like to listen to such and such." They go, "How about how about KQRS dot com? How about how about KQRS ninety two point five? How we turn that on?" <laughs> you can get uh, what's that new one? The Merlin isn't Merlin the latest in all those uh, Siri and Merlin? I think it's Merlin. Oh, Is it? I don't no, know. I don't know Merlin. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's called Merlin, the new newest one. But I just. Uh, Jeff Bezos did nothing brilliant. He just took what Sears should have done and did it. That yep. was it. Well, Apple got big by doing something that someone had previously done. Yeah. So did Facebook. Yeah, that's so exactly did right. A lot of basically all of the major um, technology-related uh, giants. They just did something someone else did, but they uh, got lucky with the timing. It's very true. We'll be right back. We have a great guest coming up next, Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here. If you're ready to sell your home, you've probably heard that you should wait until spring. But why wait for temperatures to rise when the market is hot right now? Not selling in winter is a total myth. Truth is, buyers are hungry. And while other sellers and real estate agents hibernate, the Chris Lindahl team is selling homes like hotcakes. Chris has done a great job. We have our house on the market with Chris right now, as a matter of fact. And the video he did is amazing. The Chris Lindahl team is America's number one REMAX results team for a reason. They play to win, and they've got the skilled players to sell your home fast. In fact, they sell a home on average every nine hours for over the MLS average. Don't wait until spring to sell your home. Call the Chris Lindahl team at 763-401-SOLD. That's 763-401-SOLD. The first two callers will get a free staging package. This is a huge value, and it's only going to the first two Tom Bernard Show callers from this ad. That's 763-401-SOLD. Call now, get the free staging package, and grab the opportunity before winter is over. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. When you call Sabre for service, you'll get a certified technician that's an expert at diagnosing, repairing, and installing heating and air conditioning equipment. Sabre Techs give you the service you need, not the other stuff that you don't need. When you combine that with Sabre's A rating for customer service and the best equipment from Bryant, you get exactly what you need. So make the call to Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning today. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes.
We are back, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Bernard Show. Dr. Ralph Basham in the studio, Mike Molina, Andy. Catherine hit the hit the door. She's not feeling all that well. Yeah, apparently not. It's really too bad. Let me know when James is ready to go. I think he is. James O'Keefe? Uh, okay, no, we're still never on mind. They hung up. Okay, so... They hung up? Well, someone called me, and I don't know. I, we need to communicate that better, because I was never told he would call me. I thought that's why we set the system up, so they would call you. Not yet. Oh, well... So you call him? Mike? Mike? Mike's on, Mike's on the line right now. He's, okay. he's on the phone he as we speak. He's probably on the phone with James. Not a big deal. We're, we can still poke fun at the idiot over at Sears who dropped the ball completely. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I have the entire delivery system. I've got the warehousing all set up. I've got all the people in place. All i got to do is put it up on the end. Now, I, here's a question I do have for you, and then I promise I'll shut up about this. But it annoys me to no end. Uh, after Amazon, Jet started. That was uh, Jet was um, Walmart's internet delivery service, right? Yes. Okay. So, so if Jet has some success. They're nowhere near as successful as Amazon, obviously, but they have some success. So, why didn't Sears do that then? Why didn't they step in like when Jet did and say, "Hey, we got it. We got everything in in place." And then start selling off all your real estate. You make hundreds of millions of dollars doing that. Billions of dollars probably doing that. Yeah. Why did they? Why? At, even today, why don't they do it? I don't get it. Who knows? Do you understand it? Or why? Why didn't Walmart buy Amazon when it was starting to roll? You know, Grandpa. I, you're right. Why uh, didn't you step in and buy it? Maybe they tried to. We do I have uh, Mr. O'Keefe. James O'Keefe, how are you? Hi. Good. Great to be with you. Well, it's great to have you on the How show, you doing? James. Doing extremely well. I'm just, I, I'm just. We're trying to figure out something that I'll take up 60 seconds of your time. I promise, James. Okay. No problem. How, how if you are Sears and you have warehouses full of a product, and you send people a catalog, and they order out of the catalog, and you deliver it right to their house, and the internet comes along, how do you drop the ball so badly that you're not Amazon? Why isn't Sears Amazon? I'll never understand it. Well, that's uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, why isn't Sears Amazon? I've. It's an interesting. I mean, they already question. Have, I have to think about that for a minute. They they already had the warehouses. They already had the people in place to deliver the item. You know, set up the items for delivery because that's what they were doing anyway. They just refused to do it on the internet, and I'll never understand why that happened. Well, you know, and, and companies have to have to retain that entrepreneurial zeitgeist, and uh, there yeah. has to be there has to be agents of change within the company as the company evolves. I mean, in right. my own small way, being being a media organization that's very dynamic and small and 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 uh, and, and nimble, you know, you have to sort of think on your feet, think fast, and, and have drive, and, and or or yeah, the carpet will be will be pulled from underneath you, right? Mm, that's exactly it. James O'Keefe, ladies and gentlemen, American Pravda, my fight for truth in the era of fake news by James O'Keefe. It is uh, on sale now, as a matter of fact. Uh, matter of fact, James O'Keefe's American Pravda, my fight for truth in the era of fake news, tells the story of the muckraking award-winning journalist's undercover reporting activities during, the, during and since the 2016 presidential campaign, including his relationship with President Donald Trump. 
and his exposés into mainstream media giants such as CNN, the New York Times, and NPR. What is wrong with these people, James? Well, they tell you to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears. Just, just like out of George Orwell's <laughs> 1984, which is the year That's I was true. born, by the way, um, ironically and prophetically enough. They tell you to reject your senses. They want you not to trust them. Sometimes they're, they're, they're direct about this. As Mika Brzezinski said, you're, they're supposed to only listen to what we have to say when she said that on Morning Joe. But, but oftentimes it's implied. With this memo thing, it's like, don't pay, pay no attention to the facts in the memo. Only talk about the fact that Republicans wrote it. But there are underlying facts about the world we live in. There, are, there is a way of the world. There, there, is, mm-hmm. there, there are things that happen. I mean, journalism is supposed to be history's first draft. But these days, journalism has become a propaganda war. And it's all about narrative. It's all about the narrative. And the postmodernists have taken over, and they don't think their facts don't even exist. It's just a, a power struggle. So along comes Veritas, Project Veritas, and we actually expose people with hidden camera tapes. And there's no denying what they're saying. Of course, they're going to say they didn't say it, but, but that's, that's the struggle. That's the fight. That's what American Pravda is about. It's about releasing these tapes, these undercover investigations into the Hillary campaign on the border, crossing the border, dressed like a terrorist, exposing border insecurities, and the retaliation that we face from doing the work. You have yourself, I know, James, because I've been watching you for a while now. You've taken a beating over this stuff, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Many beatings. I I take a beating, uh, you know, every few days. And some of the beatings are very public. That's that's right. No, they're very, very public. I would say this, James, that I I am a centrist. I I don't lean left. I don't lean right. I don't mind Republicans and I don't mind Democrats. I cannot tolerate the far left or the far right. But everybody uh, on a certain side of the ball in Minnesota thinks that I am as far right as you can possibly be. Just because I, and the only reason for that is, James, is because I won't agree with them. I don't agree with the other side either, but but because I won't agree with them specifically, I'm the bad guy. Isn't that bizarre? Well, it's 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 a sort of uh, patho- pathological, psychological issue, um, and and I write about this in American Pravda. I, I write that. Um, that if any information that is not part of the established narrative will not be allowed to exist. So we're living in a right. sort of post-fact world where if that fact doesn't comply with the established way of the world, then, it's, then the person who delivers that fact must be crucified. And I, I don't think it used to be that way. In fact, I write no. throughout the 20th century, muckrakers, progressive muckrakers, now we're not talking about right-wing muckraker. I don't... I don't I don't particularly think it matters what ideology the journalist obtains as long as the journalist mm-hmm. is putting facts forward. And without the ability to give us video, it's just a bunch of conjecture and opinion and propaganda. The, you know, so if you go back to the 20th century, you'll find that journalists, you know, like Upton Sinclair, you know, he was a communist. Better, more power to him as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but he was mm-hmm. exposing the, the rotting meat and the meat conditions of the jungle and he, his concern was, worker, was workers' rights. Then you go up to the 1960s and 1970s, and you have journalists at the Chicago Sun-Times who went undercover into the seedy bars of Chicago and covertly filmed kickbacks and bribes. I mean, all, all these journalists used to, used to really expose things. 
And these days, it's about sort of covering things up. It's about don't expose oh, yeah. anything, you know. Protect the uh, deep state, protect the FBI. You're attacking the FBI if you seek to expose corruption within it. And that's just become a perversion. It's become a propaganda war. And what I argue for in this book, American Pravda, is for everyone to, all things need to be transparent. But it's going to take extraordinarily willpower and moral courage to do the work and to circumvent the powers that be. That's an epic struggle. It's a David versus Goliath struggle that people need to know about. There are people doing this type of work and what it takes to support them and what it takes to get the message out in a world that doesn't want to hear the truth. But James, isn't, isn't, uh, hasn't the press always been David? always been david in every country to this day um the press has i don't i don't agree with mm, to a certain extent yes to a certain extent no i mean history is replete with examples of modern day muckrakers who have bucked the system uh there are examples throughout the 20th century there there are many there are examples of people who have gone outside of the corporate media and i think because the 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 the, the consolidation of media very few companies now own all the means of production when it comes to information. And Chomsky mm-hmm. wrote a book in 1988 called Manufacturing Consent. He's a, he's a left-wing guy, and I agree with a lot of what he has to say. He says that it's, it's about market forces and market dynamics. So you have such a monopoly on information now with the Silicon Valley companies controlling 80% of advertising, basically. There is such yes. a monopoly that it's gotten much, much, much worse. And a lot of these companies, and broadcast companies, are even afraid to lose their FCC license if they do certain investigative work. And that's not legal. It's, it's unconstitutional. It's wrong for, for companies to be concerned about losing their own broadcast license if they, if they investigate the wrong subjects. And that's, that actually happened. When I went undercover into the Hillary campaign, Fox News and Sinclair refused to air the stories because they were, I would later learn, afraid of that. And that's a problem. That's a problem that Americans need to know about. It's not a left thing. It's not a right thing. It's just, it's just wrong. And it's sort of become a new problem in recent decades. See, James, that's exactly the way I feel about it. I don't think any of this stuff is a left thing or a right thing. They make it what they want it to be. And it, it's very, very annoying. There is only one truth, and that truth is what I think. That's really a, a God. That's upsetting. Well, that's 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 that postmodernism for you. It's. Mm-hmm. I think it's really about power over people. It's about it's about that power. It's a oh, power yeah. struggle instead of instead of reality, and and that's why we call it veritas, which is the Latin word for truth. We believe that there is a truth to the world. I mean, people say what they say. The New York Times reported this week that, well, the New York Times said James O'Keefe's Project Veritas is just, they're just, you know, they're making fake videos with CGI. They literally ask you to deny the evidence of your own eyes and ears. Like, it didn't happen. It's not a thing. Right. It's all fake. It's, it's like, th- that's what propaganda is about. And there's a conflict of visions between those people and us the people of this country we, we want to see what's going on we deserve to know what's going we deserve to know what's happening and and I, and I just i guess my message in this book is you know the world doesn't want to hear the truth but the difference between the soviet union's pravda that was the soviet uh, fake news and mm-hmm. the modern american mass media is the people in this country still believe the modern mass media 
A lot of people still believe it. And in the Soviet Union, they knew it was fake. They joked about it. Right. They were afraid to say anything right. publicly, but they privately were, were very aware of what was going on. And I, and I need, there needs to be an awareness in this country just about how fake the news media is. They need to understand that they're, what they're watching is crap. It's, it's, it's corporate manufactured false political marketing propaganda. And I, there are so many instances in this book where I show people just how awful it is and how twisted it's become. And they don't, the media doesn't have any power unless you give them that power, unless you give them that relevance. By watching, by, by, by raw numbers of people watching, that's the only way they get power, that's the only way they get money, and if you're not watching, they're not making any money. Uh, that's right. Maybe people don't understand that. Now, James, I have to ask you a question about this, because I, I, I'm very confused, because a couple of weeks ago there was a memo. And was the memo going to come out? Was the memo not going to come out? There was a memo, right? And eventually the memo did come out, and the president said, yes, I'm going to release the memo. And then it automatically became the Republican memo. And now they're talking about the Democrat memo. And are they going to release the Democrat memo? And if the president doesn't release the Democratic memo, then it shows what a horrible thing it is to be President Donald Trump. When did the memo become a Republican memo and a Democratic memo? It's a memo. It's not three separate memos, right? Yeah, yes, it's... it's it's about characterizing people and characterizing facts and, yeah. and telling people to omit. It's, it's just, it's, it's, well, first of all, th- there are facts in the memo. McCabe right. did testify that, that he relied upon this dossier, which may be erroneous, may not be erroneous, but the fact that that is a fact. And, that, and the media says, well, that fact doesn't matter. Well, let's dis- let, let us decide <laughs> if it matters. J- Jake Tapper tweeted, right. well, we need, to see, we need to see the underlying transcript to know whether the fact is true. And I replied to Jake Tapper. I said, well, actually, Jake, why don't we see the underlying transcripts of all your journalism? Let's, let's open up the transcripts of your source material. Ooh. Let's see what your sources tell you versus what you report what your sources tell you. Because every time we fatten, that is to say, we see the raw interview we always see evidence where you cut, splice, and dice, and you omit context. So I, I really think it's, it's, it's about thin and selective streams. We, we get the information in thin and selected streams, and they omit the things they don't want us to see. Now, they'll accuse me of selective editing, and my response will be, yes. I, I include the things they omit. <laughs> we show you the things they don't want you to see, so they, therefore they are projecting onto us. That's what it's all about. American Pravda, my fight for the truth in the era of fake news. James O'Keefe, we need to stay in touch because I, I, I don't have as bad a headache as I usually have after talking to you. Sorry about that. Appreciate your time, sir. No, I, like Thanks. I said, my, my headache's a lot better after talking to you. Thank you, James. Oh, good. I thought you said I gave you a headache. I didn't want to give you a headache. No, 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 no. You, um, you took my headache away, James. You took it away. Thank okay, you, sir. Great. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. We'll be back. Tom Bernard Show.